feels so good to feel the presence of the Lord, doesn't it? I just love it. Well, tonight I just want to um, continue probably where Pastor Tim left off. Um, neither one of us knew that we're going to be speaking on prayer. He spoke on prayer Sunday, and the Lord put a prayer message on my heart as well, which should be no surprise to everybody. Um, but that's one of my goals. That's pretty much one of the main reasons I was hired here, was to bring up the level of prayer. So I think in order to us to go to the next level as a church body, as a church family, we got to continue to up our game in the realm of prayer. And uh, so you'll probably be getting a fairly steady diet of prayer messages. But tonight I want to touch on the aspect of praying without ceasing. What does that mean? What does that look like to pray without ceasing? If you have your Bibles or if you have your handout, I got the scripture down there for you that we'll be using tonight. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. And um, it's on the overhead here. This is one of my favorite all-time scriptures. Um, and it says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I just love this scripture because it's so simple. It can't be misinterpreted. It's not that mystical. It's very straightforward, isn't it? And I love how it's broken up. Of course, in the original writings, there were no chapter verses. But I just love how they made verse 16, be joyful always. That's a verse. That's an entire verse in the Bible. Be joyful always. Then you look at verse 17. What's that say? Pray continually. It's a verse. I love that verse. You want to memorize a scripture? Try 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually. Right? I think we can all manage that. And then 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstance. Constantly, continually give thanks. And then I love the last part. It says, Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So many times I get people coming to me and saying, I don't know what God's will is for me. And I can honestly tell them, I know exactly what God's will is for you, and I know exactly what God's will is for me. They'll say, what's that? 5.16, 5.17, 5.18. We should be joyful always. We should pray continually. and We should give thanks in all circumstances. Why? God's will for us. So how many of us are operating in that? How many tonight could honestly say, I'm living in God's will? I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do. Because these attributes, these traits, are fully functioning in my life, in my walk. And when people talk about me, they say, man, that guy is always joyful. That guy is always praying. And that guy is always giving thanks. Can anybody say honestly that's the testimony that other people would have of each and every one of us? But that's how it should be, shouldn't it? And that's what we should be modeling for the world. So how do we get there? How do we get into this loop? It's so hard. It's almost though when you read the scripture and it starts off with be joyful always, it almost like staggers you, doesn't it? Like how in the world am I supposed to be joyful always? If you had any idea what I was going through right now, maybe my finances, maybe with my children, maybe with my marriage, 
maybe with my church, you just fill in the blank, right? How am I expected to be joyful in the midst of the circumstance? Because far be it from us, nobody wants to be disingenuous, right? We want our joy to be honest and sincere. And right now, I'm not feeling the joy. So how can we get that joy back? And I love the instant answer is pray continually. Because prayer is the way to get joy in your life. It's followed by thanks. And I love Charles Spurgeon says, when joy and prayer are married together, their firstborn is gratitude. That is an awesome quote, isn't it? To think that if you're doing the first two, the third one's going to fall right into place. So to me, these three attributes are so important. They're so essential. They're so key for us as Christians to be modeling. You want to provoke the world to jealousy? You want people to start following us with all their heart? When they say, man, I want their joy. I want their zeal and their passion. That guy is plugged in. That woman is plugged in to the heart of God. They never stop praying. And they give thanks in all circumstances, no matter what happens. And I'm not talking about being phony. I'm talking about a true gratitude for everything that comes your way. And if you start shifting your heart, I guarantee you, if you start living by these three verses, everything changes, doesn't it? All of a sudden, you're living in God's will. I found this slide because I was thinking it's a little blurry, but it's almost like links in a chain, isn't it? And so you start with the rejoicing, you have prayer is the middle link, and then you have thanksgiving. And a chain has power when you link it together, right? Because when you have links that are just linear, when they're just straight, there's not much you can do with a chain. But a chain has power when you bring it together and you put gears in the middle or sprockets, and then that chain has a purpose, doesn't it? It can drive things. It can give power to things. So if you want a sprocket and chain operating in your life, in your walk, if you want to get traction, you have to make sure your chain is connected, okay? Because you might have these attributes, but if you don't have that center link, and if you notice the center link is different from the links on either side, isn't it? Every young boy knows the secret of a chain. And the secret is that link right there. It's called the master link. How many of you know that, right? How many times did you throw the chain on your bike and you tried to get it back on and you just couldn't get it? It wasn't long enough. The minute I learned to pop the master chain, you became the neighborhood hero because you could put a chain back on any bike because you knew the secret to that chain was housed in that master link. You pop that master link off, you got it back on the sprockets, you were able to reconnect the chain, and everything was great. And so that's how it is in our lives. When we feel we're broken, when we feel we're not getting traction, when we feel we're not operating and our gears aren't functioning, maybe we threw our chain and we need to reconnect it with the master link of prayer. And so I love that slide because it really illustrates to me the importance of prayer and how prayer is central. So tonight, even though there's three attributes to the scripture, the, the rejoicing, the prayer, and the thanksgiving, I just want to focus tonight on the prayer part of it. Okay? So the first thing that we learn when we pray is we learn to pray structured prayers and we learn to have a structured prayer time. I think most of us understand the importance and the necessity of having devotionals, right? We all are brought up that way in the church. I have to have my time of devotion. 
But what I'm going to talk about is transitioning from a devotion time to prayer going on continuous. But it starts with that time of devotion. And I want to encourage you to make a goal to pray an hour every day. That's the minimum, right? The minimum daily requirement, according to Jesus himself, right? He encouraged his apostles. He said, couldn't you tarry one hour? He said, that's the bare minimum. That's the least I would ask. And I guarantee you, if you start your day with an hour of prayer, your day will start in an awesome way when you connect with the king of the universe and you guard that time zealously. If I asked you to meet me for breakfast tomorrow at 7 a.m., I guarantee you 90% of the time you would be there at 7 a.m. But if we tell God, I'm going to meet you at 7 a.m. for prayer, how easy is it to blow that time off? But we need to guard that. We need to be zealous for that time. We need to say, I got that hardwired in my calendar, in my day, and I can't negotiate that. That is non-negotiable because that's how I start my day. And then it goes up from there. An hour should be a minimum, right? And then it should go up from there. I love this story. Um, Charles Spurgeon tells this story. This is a great story. This lady writes to him. Her name is Mrs. Rowe. And it says, Mrs. Rowe observed in one of her letters that if the 12 apostles were preaching in the town where she lived and she could never hear them again, if it were her time for private devotion, she would not be bribed out of her closet by the hope of hearing them. Spurgeon continues to write. He says, if she would have lost the prayer and have gotten the preaching in exchange, I agree with her. It would have been exchanging gold for silver. I love that quote. Exchanging gold for silver. How many of us would do that? That's a foolish investment, isn't it? And he said, that's what it would be like. And how many times do we do that? I'll take the preaching over the prayer any time. You know, we're in this prayer room before every service. That's the gold. We get the silver in the preaching, and I'm not knocking anybody's preaching, but I'm just saying, if you want the gold, if you're coming here for a service on a Wednesday night or a Sunday or any special service, come and get the gold, because you'll get the silver all day long. But we have to have the gold, because that's what really fuels our walk. That's our connection with God. That's God hearing our heart and, and just communing with God. And so don't settle for the lesser things. And don't, don't misquote me, don't get me wrong. Preaching and, and the gospel and the worship, those are all important elements too. But I think sometimes we say just the opposite. That's just prayer. Anybody can do that. That's for the little old ladies, right? That's the powerhouse. That's the place to be. Because that's where we meet with God. That's where we can tell the barometer of the service. I can usually tell you how the service is going to go based on what's happening in pre-service prayer. You just get a feel. You just get a gut feeling for what's happening. Because the Lord just kind of tips his hand a little bit in that prayer room, doesn't he? And you know if it's going to be an exuberant day. You know if it's going to be a more quiet day. You know if it's going to be just a worshipful day. You just get an insight when you're in the prayer room. So I love when, when she said that. We need to learn to meet with God wherever you are and um, any place, any time. So moving from that devotional time, from that time that you set apart, that time that you consecrate, you need to start maturing into a continuous time of prayer. Many of you have read Brother Lawrence's book. Brother Lawrence was a monk who lived in France, 
and uh, he had the most menial tasks in the monastery. He was assigned to the kitchen, and he would always be um, scrubbing the floors, peeling the potatoes, doing the dishes. But they said that he was an amazing man. He, he wasn't uh, ordained because he wasn't scholarly enough, but he had the goods. People would come from all over the world to talk to Brother Lawrence in the kitchen of the monastery because he was tapped in to the throne of God. Why? He had the joy of the Lord. He had a thankful heart, and he just constantly prayed 24-7. If he was scrubbing the floors, if he was doing the dishes, he was in a constant state of prayer. And so he was living this verse day and night. And when people came to France and came to this monastery, they didn't care about the bishop. They wanted to hear from Brother Lawrence. And so they compiled some of his writings, some of his letters. And if you get a chance to read it, it's a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And it will stir your heart. It will build a hunger and a thirst in you to pray more. And that's how my prayer journey started. I started reading books by all these people who had a solid prayer life. And I got to a point where I started throwing the books down saying, I'm sick of reading about this. I want to start doing this. I want this to start happening in my life. So, Missy Edwards, some of you are familiar with her ministry. She's a worship leader. She writes some of the most profound songs. She wrote a song called In the Middle of the Night. And the song, basically one of the, the verses says that though I sleep, my heart is awake. Have you ever been in that place of prayer when you've been dead sleeping, but yet you know my heart is awake? You know that you're communing with God during that time. Have you ever had such a burden, such an intensity in your heart that all night long your spirit was still up? Even though your body was sleeping, you just intuitively know my spirit is praying. It's amazing when you get to that place when you don't even take time to sleep because your spirit is so engaged. I love that song because it just talks about in the middle of the night, my heart, it burns. It yearns for God. We should pray without ceasing the same way we breathe. That's how we breathe, right? We breathe without ceasing. Our heart beats without ceasing. We think without ceasing. These things, these functions just continue night and day, day and night. And so we should always have prayer on our lips. I've shared with you guys many, many times um, during the day as I counsel people, I sometimes have no clue what someone is saying to me. I mean, it is so over my head. I just can't connect at all sometimes. And when those times come, it's constantly, I'm just praying, Lord, help me. Lord, show me. Lord, tell me. Lord, give me a word. Right now we have people in our prophecy rooms tonight, and they're seeking God for a word. We have people who are trained up to hear because they're in constant prayer, and they want to hear from God, not just for themselves, but for other people. And there's nothing like it when God starts speaking to you, even through another individual, and you know it's the secrets, it's the depth of your hearts. And so, again, that's that prayer, that praying without ceasing. And so I just want to encourage you to go deep into that place. I've shared, too, that I really began to realize that I was getting this verse down when I started praying for hitchhikers on the side of the road. I just like, Lord, bless them. Lord, help them. Lord, do you want me to do something? Um, you know, and then I found myself in movie theaters as I was watching movies, and I'd start 
binding the villain, and I'd start praying for, for the people that were in trouble in the movie, and I'm like, wait a second, this is a movie, take a break, you don't have to pray, because the outcome isn't going to change. But it just, it just bore witness in my spirit that it's so ingrained in me that I'm instant in prayer anytime I see a problem, anytime I see an issue, anytime I see a need, I go right to my daddy, I go right to my father, I go right to the place of provision. I don't lean on my own understanding anymore because I want wisdom from on high. Whenever I speak, whenever I represent God, I don't want it to be my flesh. I want it to be straight from Him. That's my heart. It's like a compass, a compass needle trying to find its way to the north, right? That magnet just pulls that needle every time to the north. And so the gravitational pull of our heart should constantly be to that place of prayer. And that's the place that we desire for you to be. You know, we talk all the time that we're in Ephesians 4 church, that we're here to equip you, we're here to train you, and there's nothing more important that we can do as your leaders than to make sure that you have a solid prayer life, that you're walking in the Spirit every single minute of the day. And that will keep you safe, that will keep you secure, that will help you in your parenting, that will help you in your marriage, because you know what? A lot of times your flesh rises up, right? And the Spirit's telling you, check up, check up. I don't want to, you know. And we push past that sometimes, don't we? But we always know that that gravitational pull, that that magnet is going to swing back north, and where is it going to lead us to every time? It's going to lead us right back to that place of prayer. I've been reading the Psalms a lot lately, and I noticed something um, in a lot of the Psalms. That's the exact pattern that David used that you find in 1 Thessalonians. He starts off his Psalms with rejoicing, doesn't he? Lord, I give you thanks. Lord, I give you praise. Lord, you're the creator of the universe. He just gushes on the Lord, doesn't he? And that's how my prayer times tend to start off now, either with worship or rejoicing. And even with my journal, I would just start writing in my journal, Lord, I love you. You're precious to me. Lord, you're my all in all. You're the king of glory. And I just start rejoicing in my journal. And then what happens? I pour out my prayer. I pour out my complaint. Right? That's that middle link. And I start telling him what's on my heart, what concerns me, what I need to hear from him from. You know, what wisdom do I need for that day? And he's always faithful to come through with an answer. And that's what David did, didn't he? Read Psalms. I mean, it's amazing. You know, my enemies surround me. I'm hemmed in. They're coming to kill me. You know, he's constantly pouring out his complaint. And then how does he end his psalms? They're always ending with, but I give you thanks. I give you praise. Lord, my heart is filled with gratitude. And so he just gets himself in this loop, doesn't he? And he just continues. And so you go from Psalm 1 to Psalm 2 to Psalm 3 to Psalm 4, and it just keeps going round and round. And you see that pattern, and it's just amazing to watch how David does that. And if you notice, if you're doing these three things, if you're rejoicing, if you're praying, if you're giving thanks, guess what you're not doing? You're not complaining. You're not gossiping. You're not sinning. Because all of a sudden, you don't have time for those things. And those things are pushed out and weeded out of your life because you say, I have no time for those. I can't let those enter in. And so I encourage you, if you continue to, to move in this pattern, 
It's going to change everything. It's going to change your language. It's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way others look at you. And they're going to say, something's different about that person. And I think as a church, this is what we should be displaying continually to everybody. I'm just going to uh, share some quotes with you that I think are really instrumental in praying. And so, um, again, these are on your handout so that you can have them as a reminder. But I love this one. Um, It says, a praying man will stop sinning and a sinning man will stop praying. That is huge. That is huge. As a pastor, not even as a pastor, as a fellow brother in Christ, I can tell right away when people are slipping. Especially if you're one of my prayer people because guess what? Start missing the prayer meetings. Don't see at prayer much anymore, right? It's like, okay, what's going on? I go looking for them because I'm worried because if they stop praying, that means they may have started sinning. Because it's hard to continue to pray when you're sinning, isn't it? Because you feel like a hypocrite. You feel like, I can't approach God because these things are going in my life. And so you're kind of on the lamb from God. But I guarantee you, you start praying, that sin will start going away. You want the antidote for sin? Start praying. You'll see an inverse relationship between those two when you start operating in that. So if I could give you uh, a word of advice, that's huge. The next one, I love this. Charles Spurgeon says, if you've ever prayed without ceasing, you will pray without ceasing. Um, You've got to get a hold of this. If you start praying without ceasing, I guarantee you, you'll keep praying, you'll keep praying, because prayer begets prayer. I shared with the prayer group on Friday, hunger begets hunger, doesn't it? There's just something about that. Deep calls unto deep. And so we have to get into this place where we pray without ceasing. And once you do that, you you just can't get enough. You just keep going back for more because it just waters your spirit. It waters your soul. It just feeds you deeply. So if you want to start praying without ceasing, start praying without ceasing. Just build yourself up. You know, I encourage you, start small. Start with a couple minutes a day, but just build up from that there. If you have a prayer language, start using your prayer language. You know, so many people have a prayer language and they just don't use it. I guarantee you, you start using that. You start praying every day in the spirit, things will begin to change. Because what happens? Those words go out from your mouth, out of your mouth gate, and what, what do they do? They come right back into your ear gate, don't they? And you just start building yourself up and you get this continuous flow going. And all of a sudden, you feel like you can conquer the world because you're washing yourself with the water of the word, especially if you learn to pray the word as well. Start memorizing scriptures and just start proclaiming the word of God. When I worked at GM, we used to have a prayer uh, time during lunch. We had this sister that would just start quoting scriptures, and she'd start off slow, and she'd get faster, she'd get louder, she'd get more excited, and she'd just keep quoting scripture after scripture. 30 minutes of scripture, nonstop, didn't take a breath. She just machine gunned one after another. And when we came out of that conference room, we were ready to rip our clothes off because we were just, ah! God is so good. He's so powerful because it just builds up your inner man. And we'd have secretaries saying, 
guys, what's going on in there? Keep it down. <laughs> People are walking by and looking in. We didn't care because, you know what? We are on cloud nine. We felt like we could do anything. This is in the workplace. This is in an office. And we weren't embarrassed. We weren't ashamed because we were just so built up. And what did that do? It made us want to memorize more scripture because everybody wanted to outpraise Sister Yvonne because she was a dynamo. And she modeled that for us time after time. And I just love that sister because she taught me so much about praying. You guys doing okay? <laughs> um, the men who do not love to pray must be strangers to its secret joy. Again, another great quote. I could just throw quotes at you all night. But you're a stranger to its secret joy. I guarantee you, if you can learn to pray to a place where it becomes your secret joy, it will be indescribable. I can't begin to tell you. Part of my journey was I was just determined to learn how to pray. And I'd start going in the prayer room, and all the men would look at me like, what are you doing? That's for the women. <laughs> you know, what are you going in there for? And I would go in there, and sure enough, if there were ten people in the prayer room, eight or nine would be women, one or two men. Thank God for you women. I'm just so thankful. And men, I'm just challenging you. We need to up our game. Because I went into that prayer room, and I hated every minute of it. And I started judging everyone's prayer. I had an inside joke. I had a descriptor, an adjective of what everybody's prayer style was. And one day, the Lord just checked up my heart. Because I was this little fly on the wall. I was too afraid to say anything. But after a while, I started appreciating each and every approach, each and every heart. And I started to see them as God began to see them. And I remember I just started weeping. It's like, this is rich. This is wonderful. And I started to understand the joy of prayer. Because you know what? It moves the heart of God unlike anything. I've used the example before of my daughter's my daughters are night and day different. I have two girls. My oldest one is the graceful, quiet. She has these little doe eyes, and she comes up to me every time I get home from work, and she'd just climb in my lap, put her arm around my neck, and she wouldn't even say a word. And she had these pouty little lips, and she'd just like look at me. And it was just so beautiful because she didn't have to say anything. But that was her approach. And you know what? She had my heart. That just made my day. And some days I get home, and my other daughter, my younger daughter, would be in the back of our backyard, back of our lot. And she'd see me pull up, and she'd be, Daddy! She'd come running, screaming, jumping into my arms, just loud and just, you know, excited and laughing and filled with joy. And you know what? She had my heart too. And I appreciated each approach. I appreciated how each of them had my heart. And for Hannah to tell Esther, hey, you're too loud for dad. You're too noisy for dad. You're too rambunctious for dad would have been wrong, right? And for Hannah to tell Esther, quiet down, settle down. Dad likes quiet. That would have been wrong too because I appreciate each and every approach and so does God the Father. And so you're sitting in that prayer room and you get past that judgment phase and you start enjoying hearing the prayer of the saints going up. And you got that one that's got the spiritual armor on. And they're pulling down strongholds. And they're commanding the devil 
to get out of that person's life. And then the next person prays, has that mercy gift, and they start weeping, they start crying, and they start showing the merciful heart of God. How awesome is that? And you start hearing every issue prayed from every different angle. And I'll tell you what, you say, man, this has got to touch God's heart. This one here was by John Bunyan. He says, So, Christian, pray without ceasing. Carry your sword in your hand. Wave that weapon of all prayer. Never sheathe it. It will cut through coats of mail. You need fear no foe if you but pray. As you are tempted without ceasing, so pray without ceasing. You want the cure for temptation in your life? You want to stop being tempted by the devil? Man, never put your sword away. Constantly be in prayer. And I'll tell you what, you'll get to a point, and I don't mean this to sound flippant or arrogant, but you'll get to a point eventually in your life and you're so prayed up that when the enemy comes, it'll be laughable. I mean, you'll just like laugh. Sometimes I'll see the enemy come in against someone and it's just like, are you serious? You're going to try that? And he gets away with it, right? He's only got a few tricks, but they work every time. But if we were prayed up, we could see him coming a mile away, right? We're like, oh, no, you don't. You're not going to try that one. So always have that sword out. Always be ready in battle to take him on. Always be prayed up. So important. This next one, this man in the slide, Leonard Ravenhill. Has anybody heard of Leonard Ravenhill before? A few of you? I'll tell you, you want to get your spirit wound up read one of his books. His most popular book is called Why Revival Tarries. If you want to read a great book on revival, I've, I've studied a lot of revivals in my day, but he wrote a book in the 50s, 1950s, a long time ago. And he says, this is the reason why we don't have revival. And he starts listing all the reasons. And, and it's still true today. And I constantly find myself going back to the copyright of the book to say, when was this written? Because everything he describes that's happening is happening now, except in a higher degree. And this man tells it like it is. And I remember I've had opportunities when Raven Hill was alive. He died in 1994. But when he was alive, I heard him preach a few times. And the last time I heard him preach, he was very frail. He was in his 80s. But they had to bring him in in a wheelchair, and they stood him up at the podium and it took forever to get him up there. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? What is this all about? And they stood him up, and he stood there, and they put two microphones with little gooseneck stands right up to his mouth. And he started to preach really frail. You could barely hear him eke out what he wanted to say. And all of a sudden, the unction of God came down on this man. And you'd swear you're watching an 18-year-old kid up there preaching the gospel. He would just be full of fire. And he'd start pounding on that podium. And he'd start telling people, you get down to this altar right now. And he would just warn them of the darkness that's coming their way if they didn't repent. And he'd call down the fire of God like nobody else. And it was just amazing to see people respond. And then all of a sudden, as he wound down his message, he would just shrivel back up in this frail little old man 
and he'd have to whisper again in the microphone. But his prayer life was so strong, it was so powerful, that whenever he entered into that prayer place, he was just so filled with the power of God. Listen to what he says. This is a ruffle of a few feathers. He says, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are strained. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. That's why revival tarries, because we don't understand, we don't operate in the power of prayer. We don't use it without ceasing. And so Ravenhill had this down. He had this so much in his DNA. And wherever he went, that's what he looked for. Where's the prayer room? Is this a praying church? Are these people saturated with the Spirit of God or not? This next quote he says, pretty amazing too. <laughs> it says, Sunday morning attendance shows how popular the church is. Sunday night shows how popular the preacher is. Wednesday prayer meeting shows how popular God is. Wow. That will recalibrate your heart in a hurry, won't it? Because, you know what, if you come to a prayer meeting, and I'll tell you what, typically in most churches, you call a prayer meeting, you'll get 1% to 2% of the congregation. One of the highest attended prayer meetings I've ever been to was 5% of the congregation. Now, I'm not saying people aren't praying. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, in your weekly prayer meeting at any church, you'd be hard-pressed to get 1% to 2% of people there. 5% is doing pretty good. And so that's got to change, doesn't it? Where we come together for that corporate prayer. I just want to show you a few scriptures from Jesus' prayer life because I think they give us some clues, some insights, how the greatest intercessor who ever lived prayed. Mark 1.35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So praying early in the morning. I know some people aren't morning people, but I guarantee you, if you get up early and you purpose in your heart to set a time aside to start your day with God, it'll change everything. And Jesus got up while it was still dark, it said. Luke 6, 12 says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When was the last time you missed your bed to stay up all night to pray? I remember when churches used to have 24-hour prayer meetings. I don't see much of those anymore. I think we need to start having those again, don't you? Where we just pray through the night. Because I'll tell you what, something happens when you labor, when you tarry through the night. Come 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, God shows up. And I'll, I'll tell you, it will just blow your doors off when that happens. So we have to reinstitute all-night prayer meetings because that's how Jesus prayed. And I guarantee you, husband and wife, pray. Set aside a weekend. Say, we're going to pray all night. It'll change everything. 
John 11, 41, 42. If Jesus had to pray that, how much more do we have to pray it, right? So they took away the stone. This is when Lazarus had died. And they rolled the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for their benefit, for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So here's Jesus praying. He said, you know, I I took authority. I prayed extra loud. I did this. I know that you always hear me. I'm not saying that I'm doubting you, but I'm doing it on behalf of the people to see me model this. It's time when we start modeling prayer for everybody else, right? When people ask us to pray, pray right then and there. Pray instantly for them. When you're talking to someone and they say, pray for me, stop what you're doing and pray before you hang up that phone. You know, prayer has become the equivalent of the Christian bye-bye, right? Bye-bye. I'll pray for you. Bye-bye. But if you stopped and prayed for people, that would mean everything to them. So I encourage you to do that. Hebrews 7.24 says, But because Jesus lives forever, he is a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus' intercession is ongoing, and it's continuous, and that's what he's doing right now. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my Father in heaven doing it. That should be our mission statement. I don't do anything unless I see Jesus doing it. What's he doing right now? He's praying. He ever lives to make intercession. So I want to encourage you to get that into your DNA. And then the last scripture for tonight, Hebrews 5.7. This is remarkable. I just discovered this scripture a couple weeks ago. I didn't realize this is in the Bible. And maybe you guys have read it a lot, but Pastor Tim has been just constantly trying to encourage us to be vocal, constantly trying to get us to pray out loud, constantly trying to get us to not not get uh, stirred up in the flesh, but stirred up in the spirit. And he's constantly saying, would you cry out? Would you scream out? And like I said, I understand there's different approaches, right? I'm the kind of guy, when I'm really deep in prayer, I get quiet. I get low. You know, some people get high and loud, but I get low and I'm just kind of hunched over. But there are times that call for us to get loud. And listen, this, this is how Jesus prayed. This is in Hebrews. Like I said, I, I never saw this scripture until a couple weeks ago. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So he prayed how? He prayed, went too far here. He prayed reverent prayers, right? So what's reverent mean? It says feeling or showing deep and solemn respect. Synonyms, I can never say that word, are respectful, reverential, I'm sorry, doing the wrong one. I want to get to fervent here. Um, having or displaying passionate intensity. So he prayed impassioned prayers. He prayed passionate prayers. He prayed intense prayers. He prayed vehement prayers. He prayed ardent prayers, sincere prayers, heartfelt prayers, 
enthusiastic, zealous, fanatical. When was the last time someone said, man, you're fanatic when you pray. Your prayer life is fanatical. Have you ever been accused of that? Hardcore. Man, that was hardcore prayer meeting. Wholehearted, eager, keen, committed, dedicated, devout. That's how Jesus prayed. Now we all know he prayed in the garden like that, right? Because it said that he, he sweated blood. But Jesus prayed this way. It says that in Hebrews 5.7. That's how he prayed. So that's how God heard him because that's how he prayed. And then it says, and he was heard. Why was he heard? Because of his reverent submission. And reverent means respectful, reverential, admiring, devoted, devout, beautiful, and awed. And so I just want to encourage you to take that as your lead. Learn from Jesus how he prayed. And so that's how we should pray. I, I want my prayers to be hardcore. I want my prayers to be intense. I want my prayers to de- be devout. I want people to walk away when I pray saying, that moved the heavens. And I'll tell you, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be showy. One of the best prayers I've ever heard was from a man who was about 45. He fried his brains on drugs, and uh, he went to Woodstock and never came back. And uh, he was just a waste of a man. But he could make a few sentences. And when he would pray... And we'd always say, Marty, would you please pray? And he'd pray one of these one-sentence prayers. And it hit the mark on the heart of God. Because you know what? He prayed continuous. He prayed without ceasing. And you know you just tapped in to that little chain that this man had. And so I want to encourage each and every one of you tonight, start tonight. Lord, I want to be fervent in prayer. I want to be devout in prayer. Lord, I want to pray without ceasing. So I want to pray for you guys right now. If you stand, if the worship team is available, they can come out too. So how many want to start praying without ceasing? Amen. So let's just pray. And as I'm praying, I just encourage you to break into a spirit of prayer yourselves. Lord, we come to you tonight. Father, we want to be done with the lesser things. Lord, we want to up our game in prayer. Lord, we desire to be devout in our prayer life. Lord, I ask that we would be able to pray without ceasing. Lord, that our heart would just be pulled to the place of prayer. Lord, that we would hunger and thirst for the prayer room. Lord, that we would hunger and thirst for our prayer journals. Lord, that we would desire to spend time with you, to hear your heart, to communicate with you. Lord, we come to you tonight, and we just are hungry for you. Lord, come and fill our hearts. Lord, come and move our hearts. We want more of you, God. We want more of you. Lord, would you set a fire in our soul that we can't contain. Lord, I pray that we would just just hunger and thirst like never before for the things of you. Lord, that we would be done with gossip, that we would be done with slander. Lord, I pray against depression. Lord, I come against negativity. Lord, I come against ingratitude. And Lord, I pray that you would release joy. Lord, that you would release the spirit of prayer. 
Lord, that you would release a spirit of thanksgiving. So all over this room, just now, worship team, just help me out. Let's just start thanking God.